This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Phoenix, and Phoenix was married to a physically abusive cult member. It's a story of manipulation, threats, the fog, and shame in the aftermath of abuse. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. With me today, we have Phoenix. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm well, and thank you for being here. You know, today we are going to hear a story that is a little bit different. I've been saying that a lot lately, but this is a story where it has to do with uh, your relationship with someone where you were in a relationship with someone for three years. But what led you up to that relationship is you eventually in your life joined a cult and you didn't join that on your own. You, Your parents joined it first and then you went with it. And it's going to be uh, a really interesting story for people to hear, a lot to learn from as well. So thank you so much for being here. And now, without further ado, Phoenix, the floor is now yours. Thank you. Thank you again, uh, you know, for having this platform for people like us who's been through narcissist abuse. And so we can, you know, express ourselves and see there's other people like us. So I have, um, you know, my mom and my dad have three kids. I have a twin brother. And where I was born, uh, having daughters was frowned upon. And when I was born, my mom actually uh, hid me. She only claimed that she had a boy and not like, you know, twins, a boy and a girl for about two years from, you know, my dad's side of family. And then, you know, that kind of played a big part of like who I am. Uh, just knowing not being accepted and everything. And so, you know, just like I kind of grew up thinking that I was not like wanted because, you know, my parents uh, had me, you know, my mom's mom raised me when I was a baby. Only 10 days old, my mom gave me to my grandmother and she raised me till I was five or six. That's when my parents took me back. 
So just growing up, uh, you know, knowing that my parents didn't want me and all that. So that kind of shaped. And reason why I'm mentioning that is, you know, uh, when you have those wounds from when you're little, uh, they become like, you know, um, a reason why you could get sucked in by a narcissist because they'll see that and they'll use that to, you know, kind of pull you in. So growing up, my grandmother was really spiritual. So I kind of grew up uh, being spiritual as well. We used to go to temples and like, you know, just wanted to know what was out there as in like, you know, God, if anyone's up there and, you know. So when it comes to your relationship with your parents, once yes, sir. you uh, are, are given back to them and, and they take you back... What is your relationship in the sense of are you a dutiful child uh, to them? Are you someone who is listening to them all the time? Are you rebellious or are you just like uh, obedient to them? Yes. So I was when uh, my parents first got me, they were a little, they were kind of strangers to me because, you know, from a baby till I was like five or six. I saw them maybe like a couple of times a year. And uh, so I was in a place where I was a little rebellious. Like I want to go back to my grandma. I I wanted to go back to my home. And Brandon, uh, I've been doing uh, some therapy on my own, like reading books that other people, narcissists, survivors have recommended in your podcast, which thank you, you know, they've mentioned. And then I've started reading up on that to see, you know, what kind of made me into the person that I am. And from reading those books and doing some research, I figured out that my mom was actually a covert narcissist. She is a covert narcissist. So, you know, anytime I would like talk to her, when even when I was little, she would treat me really badly in person. And I remember when I was little, she told me, she's like, I never wanted you. And it hurt. And then, you know, if I would tell her, okay, then, you know, send me back to my grandma. Like, she loves me. And she broke me to a point, like, where she said, oh, they don't want you either. You're a burden. And the way she would treat me, like, it just kind of, like, broke me that, okay, I can't go anywhere else. So then I, when I was little, I was like, okay, I wasn't getting the attention from my mom. So I realized if I work really hard and I got good grades my dad would notice me. So I started like, you know, studying a lot and then kind of became, you know, competitive for that love. And I kind of feel bad for that as well. You know, that I wasn't the sister that my brother needed because I was trying to compete for that love and attention. And I feel bad that maybe he didn't get that sister. He didn't get that twin sister that would not compete with him. And, and I, you know, but I was in a spot where I had to work hard. I had to do extra to gain that, to be seen by my parents, especially my dad. And that played a major role growing up, you know, just trying to get be accepted by my parents. And that acceptance from my mom never came. And so with my dad, you know, I was his, you know, favorite because he, not favored, but he liked that I was, you know, um, studying a lot. I was, you know, doing everything, not perfectly, but I was trying really hard to be seen by him. And I think also like when my dad found that cult, 
my need to be accepted by my parents was so high that I was like, if I do this, if I go along with this, my dad would see me. He would like, you know, um, like I became a part of my parents again. And I would go along with it and, you know, try to do good. And then there was a lot of pressure. Okay, we were supposed to meditate like two hours a day. And if I did that, then, you know, it just my parents would get happy. And just to make them happy, I was kind of going along with those. So before your dad starts experimenting in this world, you become a teenager and you have your late teenage years as well. What is your social life like during that time? Uh, do you have lots of friends? Are you feeling accepted by the world? Hi, uh, Brendan. I was bullied a lot um, in grade 10. And um, that's when we kind of moved to Canada. And when we first moved here to Canada, um, again, I was bullied, but I did have friends that kind of helped me go through high school kind of smoothly. So I did have friends and which is actually, I do want to mention my mom never liked me having friends. Uh, even to this day, like I still have the same friends that I had from high school and I'm very lucky to have them in my life because, you know, they've been there, you know, those friends have been there through thick and thin with me. And just my, my dad was okay with my friendships and everything, but my mom was not okay with those. And to this day, she says she doesn't like me going out or having those friends because she doesn't accept them. I was pretty rooted as in like, you know, culturally that I never dated. It wasn't allowed in my, you know, religion and in my culture. So I never dated anyone. So I had no exposure to what relationships could look like and everything before I got married. So eventually your dad goes down a spiritual path. So I guess explain the path that he goes down and everything that happens from there. Yes. So I believe that was around 2007 or 2008. Um, he found a website online that said, you know, there's uh, no religions and, you know, it's all love. Like, you know, we love each other and God is love. And I know it's like a hippie kind of um, thought process behind it, but that's how, that's what we kind of believed in. Like even you know, as in my religion, like I see that, you know, people fight over religions and everything. And I kind of get that from my dad as well. Uh, he believes in like, there's something bigger than that. There's something beyond than like, you know, okay, you have to be put in this box. So he looked up those words and they like, it was like a cookie cutter, like search that matched this website that he went to. And he's very private as in like, he didn't tell anyone then he did more research. He read up the website and everything. And he said, okay, this sounds great. And, you know, we were living in Calgary at that time. And the teacher that he had found was actually from Toronto. And so he's like, he made up his mind that he's going to go see this teacher. 
like they spoke on the phone a few times my mom spoke to the teacher and they really liked him the way he was he was spreading love and peace and all that so they spoke to him all over the phone and then my mom and dad decided that they're going to go to fly out there and go see this guy and at that time like you know he told my siblings and myself but i was more to the spiritual side of things so I was like, oh, that sounds great. Like, you know, what is it about? And then they gave me a little rundown what it's about and everything. And they went out for a couple of days, met him, came back and they were like, oh my God, it was amazing. He's an amazing guy. I think you should go see him. My dad was like, you should go see him. And, um, you know, because my grandmother, like who raised me was kind of a religious, spiritual person. I kind of grew up like when I was 13, 14, I would listen to a lot of, didn't even matter like what you know if it was christian music if it was if it was sufi which is muslim uh music or if it was sikh music like uh, spiritual based uh in sikhism yes they do say like you know everyone's equal and and all that but you know we wanted to see if something beyond that like you know because people are very unfortunately sometimes they're very divided in you know religions and everything so yeah growing up um just i wanted to be accepted i wanted i was looking for something something was missing like a father figure a parent figure so growing up i would like look for god in things and it it sounds insane or um like weird but i was like okay you know maybe i can figure out if someone's up there and i would pray and so that kind of shaped me as a person as who i was and when they said oh you know what we found this teacher and he talks about love and acceptance and everything and i was like oh my god that sounds amazing and my dad said okay next time we'll take you with us and i was like okay and it was great like you know they were interacting with me i was accepted and i was being seen so i was like okay that's great so i went with them and the teacher when we met him he was um he just knew that he just knew your weaknesses and everything like when i went there to his house he gave me so much love and acceptance that i wasn't used to from my own parents and he sat me down and he spoke to me one on one and he he said to me he's like from today i'm your dad i don't know how he knew that i was looking for like a parental figure and he said from today i'm your dad and he's like you're my daughter and he gave me so much love that i was i believe it could be love bombing i don't know and i was hooked i was like you know what this is like what if there's a god up there this is like a dad a father figure that i was looking for and and he's you know telling us all about love and acceptance and you know loving each other serving other people doing good deeds for other people and not looking for rewards like i was like oh my god this is amazing like we just hit a jackpot like this is amazing like i found a meaning to my life and so we went we flew back to calgary and then from there we would make phone calls with him and he would tell us okay you need to meditate you need to do these things these things so it started out slow there were no rules but that it started adding up okay you have to do this if you know for this congregation he would call it a congregation and I believe that was 2011 or 2012 and then you know I was working and I was far away because it's a different province and then 
uh, I started going to college and kind of fell through with the whole, you know, uh, spirituality and religion because going to college and, you know, it was just a different era. And my, I think my dad saw that, like I was dressing up more, um, you know, I was focusing on my studies and I was in a state where I wanted to dress up, look good and also get grades and everything. So my dad saw that I was like kind of faltering away from the spiritual side. So in 2014, December, he said that in Ronald, the teacher had a big congregation planned. They used to do that for Christmas and New Year's. And this is what I liked about him as well, that, you know, being a Sikh from his background, he kind of like celebrated like, you know, Christmas and New Year's and everything as well. So, and he's, my dad said, okay, my sister and myself, my sister was married at that point. She got married when she was only 21 and she was pregnant and she had a baby already. And my dad said that my sister and I and my mom and him were all going to go there for four to five days for the congregation. And and at that time of my life, I was like, I, w- I felt pretty disconnected from that because I was trying to fit in at college and everything. And I was like, I don't want to go. My dad's like, no, no, you should come. And, and he's like, okay, your flights are booked. And then we all went to Toronto and drove to the teacher's place. And... Brandon, I kid you not, um, he had, I believe, 200 people. And those people were from backgrounds like dentists, engineers, uh, entrepreneurs. And, you know, they were like all educated people. And there were a lot of young kids, like in their 20s. And they were born and raised here. And even people flew out from UK. Uh, when we got there, I felt pretty ashamed. Like I felt a lot of guilt in on my own. I was like, that what I'm doing with my life, like I was dressing up. I was um, getting attracted to all these people at my school, in my college. Like, you know, I was in my mid twenties, but I just felt that shame that, okay, that's not the path I want to be, even though it was pretty normal for a person. And we would just sat there and I was feeling pretty guilty. And this is actually the reason why I'm mentioning this is that's the day my ex-husband, who was a narcissist, that he saw me first. That was the first day that he saw me. He was there and I was just sitting there and, you know, then when all the guilt was gone, he was talking about how, you know, these things don't matter, dressing up and all that. The teacher was talking about that. And then I just like started bawling and, you know, just crying. And I was like, what am I doing with my life and all that? And then just four days was really amazing. We sang, we danced and just talked about love. And it felt like a family. It felt like we belonged there, that when we were supposed to go back to Calgary, I was actually crying and I was like, I don't want to go. Like, this feels like a family. This feels like we're accepted and all that. And my sister felt the same, but we had to go. So at at this point, you had your initial meeting with the leader of this group where you immediately felt that this person is my dad and I'm a daughter and I feel accepted in that way. The the distance in between put a little wrench into everything as far as going back to your normal life and, you know, that initial feeling dissipated as you went back into school, interacting with people that were not in 
that type of in, of environment who had nothing to do with it. And now you go back and all of a sudden within those days you feel the acceptance again. You would feel this love again. And at this point yes. you are uh, hooked into that. Um what is the, you know, you're, you talk about how you go there. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm just curious as, like, what does the, the building look like that you're in? Or, like, where are you congregating? And how how does that all work? Where is everyone staying during this time? And is this cult someplace where, like, you're all together all the time? And do people eventually move somewhere? Yes. So, um it was actually, um, so the teacher lived, he didn't live in Toronto, Toronto. He was like two hours away. But the people, the most of the congregation were from Toronto themselves. And they, the teacher bought a place by Windsor, Ontario. That's by Detroit. And they found like this old motel that was on sale. And it had, uh, I believe, 12 rooms and a big hall, a massive hall. So that would house like all those people. There was enough room for all the people to stay. There was a big kitchen. There was a big hall. There was a lot of room. And it was right by the water. It was an amazing place. And that's where, uh, you know, it was like a, a vacation home. The, there was a dock, there was water and, you know, a massive place with like rooms. It was like an old motel that they had bought off someone. And that's where everyone was staying. And um, so, you know, the whole being there, you know, at the congregation and then coming into the normal life was like contradicting. I was like, okay, at one place, you know, we were feeling so much love and then when coming back to, you know, college and everything and trying to be accepted and trying to be like, you know, um, you know, uh, yeah, just being accept accepted by people and all that was like contradicting for me at that time. Like I didn't know which one was, you know, what I was supposed to be at that point. Um, so when we wouldn't constantly go to the congregation. Like I would go back to the normal life and be a normal person in their twenties. And my dad saw that. And so he would try to like, keep us connected. And I do want to mention, I didn't mention my brother with the congregation because my brother was actually an atheist. He's still an atheist and he didn't believe in uh, religion or spirituality and everything. And that's okay. That's how he is. So my parents knew that he, there's no chance that he would go and see the teacher and whatever he could hear about the teacher, he did not like him at all. And I wish I listened to my brother because uh, he, you know, he was like, oh, why are you guys going there? Like, there's no person. If you want to do like spirituality or religion, he's like, there can't be a person in a God form. He used to say that. But we used to ignore him. We're like, no, you don't know anything and all that. Like my parents would say, oh, no, if you only if you had met the teacher, you would really like him. But regardless, uh, 2014, uh, that December, that's where my life changed Uh, because I was graduating next year in May from college. And uh, that's when the teacher kind of flipped the script. Like from love, it was, okay. you need to do this, 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 this to be accepted like you have to so he started preaching because he knew he had a hold on us like he started preaching to us saying that 
you can't have any attachments. You can't have any friends who are not part of congregation. And I was like, what? Like, you know, I love my friends. They're, you know, we've been friends for years. And he's like, no, like, you know, if you want to show that you're serious about this thing, then you have to like break those attachments. And I ended up like not talking to my friends, distancing myself from them and deleting them off Facebook back then without any explanation. And at that time, how things worked out was I got a job offer. Uh, I was looking for jobs as soon as I graduated. I got a job offer from Ottawa, Ontario. And the company said, you know, they could fly me out there and I could start working there. Uh, And it was a great job. Um, Then my dad's like, oh, he's like, you know, it's a great opportunity. And it was a great job. He's like, why don't you move out there? And you'll be closer to the congregation as well. And I was like, yeah, you know, I was kind of like, I don't know if I should want to go, but also like I was torn. We decided like as a family that it's good that if I move out there and my dad helped me move there. And when he moved me there, it was a seven, eight drive from Ottawa to where the congregation was held every weekend. So I used to drive every weekend, seven hours one way to go see the teacher and uh, spend, you know, two nights there and then drive back again. And my at that point, my parents were kind of pressuring. I had a career. I was 25 and my mom was like, you know, you should get married. And they were looking for people. And I wasn't sure that I wanted an arranged marriage because that's what my family believed in. So I was feeling a lot of pressure. And my mom's like, no, these are the pictures I'm sending you and you select a guy. And I was like, that's not how things work. And so I was under a lot of pressure and I saw that teacher as my father. So I one day I opened up to him and I told him that I'm, you know, stressed out and I don't think I'm ready to get married. I was like, maybe he can, you know, just hear me and tell me what I need to do. And he's like, oh, he's like, I'll talk to them. And he told them, he's like, don't pressure the girl, like, you know, let her be. And I was like, oh, my God, he's amazing. He's like a dad, like he listens and he's, you know, trying to help me out. But he had something else, like in the back of his head. Apparently, my ex-husband was so good at manipulating the teacher that he had convinced him that he was supposed to get married to me. And that he saw a vision or whatever I know it sounds insane and Brandon the thing is my ex-husband was 16 years older than me and he was married before and one day when I went there for the weekend like at the congregation the teacher told me that he thinks he has a person in his mind that would treat me really well and he's an amazing guy and I think I should like consider him and when he told me who this person was First thing I said was, I was like, but he's like, he's the same age as my uncle. And, you know, and I never like, I only saw him as like, he was much older. He was in his 40s. And I like gave him the respect I would give like an older person. Right. And my guru then started saying, using these tactics, he's like, oh, but, you know, if you see, this is like, if you don't do this, that's just a test from your guru. Like, if you say no, that means you're not fully 100% dedicated and I was like what like you know 
I was there by myself and then they used the tactics saying, don't you love your family? If you love your family, like if you do this, like that guy is very spiritually elevated. And if you marry him, that's your test. And that would help your family as well. Like, you know, it would, you know, give them good karma. And they would use that. And I was like, oh man, like, you know, I know. And I would talk, think to myself, I was like, man, like it's, but I'm not attracted to him. Like, I don't want to get married, but like, if I do this, then, you know, my family has a place or whatever, like they'll be taken care of. And it was like a struggle between like what's right and what's wrong. And like, just kind of like trying to convince myself that one day I was just like shattered. And I was like, you know, I just want to run away. I, 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 this is not okay. But then when I was driving back to Ottawa, I was thinking, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to run away. This is not for me. And I was driving back and I was under a lot of stress and I didn't notice that I was speeding. And then my teacher called and he said, oh, if you don't do this, like the tone changed. It went from like compassion and love and everything to like, oh, if you don't do this, okay. So you never were serious about this. It was, it just changed to like, Either you do this or or you're going to get kicked out. So it went from love and acceptance to fear, obligation, and guilt. Yes, exactly. And I was like, you know what? I was like, okay, give me like a few days. I was like, I need to think it over. And I was like, okay. Then on the call, I was like, okay, I, I can do it. Like, you know, I didn't want to get kicked out. Do you say anything to your parents about what just happened or do you feel like the weight of their life is on your shoulders? You maybe not want to burden them in any way. What is your, I guess, thought process here and and how do you handle that? And Brandon, a funny thing is, you know what my teacher and his wife said at that time? They said, I, when we were discussing this, I was like, let me talk to my dad. And now I'm just thinking about it and I'm like, wow, like they said, no, no, you can't talk to anyone else. You can't talk to them right now. It has to be your decision. So they kind of isolated me from my family in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. So they're isolating you here and you are unable to get anyone else's perspective and they're putting it on you the pressure is on you in this situation and you know that isolation right there um really they've done a really good number on you already right here that's right and they had isolated me from my friends already saying you have to give up your friends and then from family they're like no it's your decision you can't talk to them yet and you have to make the decision. And once you're sure, like, then you can talk, tell them. And they were already, like, um, at this point, the teacher, I was sitting there in the hall, and there were other people present. And he started saying, oh, so your parents aren't, like, you know, so that's how you guys are. Like, you're not dedicated. And I felt that embarrassment. And I felt like, you know, and it's a big thing in South Asian community, like, your parents respect and their uh, place in society like you really it's on your shoulders like you cannot have someone say oh you know the child doing something bad like it reflects on parents so I felt a lot like like embarrassed when he said that and other people were around but they couldn't say anything 
uh, like the people from Toronto, but my family had no idea this was going in the background. So I felt that embarrassment. I was like, I don't want my dad. My dad has done nothing wrong. Like he's a great guy. Like, you know, he's very dedicated. But if I don't do this, it reflects back on them. So he, th- this person did a really good job here as far as this specific cult goes because it's not just finding you and going after your own insecurities. The second level here is they are a specifically for a South Asian community, immigrant community for a lot of them. Uh, newer countries for a lot of them, or maybe first, second, third generation, and understanding the hierarchy uh, mm-hmm. of the family unit and the importance of that as well, working that in here to gain leverage, to gain isolation, and to gain another level of uh, guilt and fear yeah. and the obligation that you already felt to your family even before you entered this situation. From this point on, you have now bought in, you're fully isolated, and your future husband becomes more of this story. Yes, sir. So then I um, I was speeding and they called me and I got a ticket and that's okay. And But I'm just trying to, the way, the reason I'm mentioning this is that's how my state of mind was at that time. It was under so much stress. I got a ticket on the way to Ottawa. And then next day I was so stressed out. I couldn't talk to my parents that all this was on me that I got another ticket next day because I was driving without paying attention because I was, all this was going in my mind. Not to say that, you know, not just to pinpoint everything on the stress, I should have been driving, you know, carefully. Uh, But all this was going on. And then I went to Ottawa and I was like, you know what? Um, I had already said yes to them. And my teacher called me when I was at work on Monday. And he said, "Um, can you come to Toronto tomorrow? And I said, like, you know, I, I work like, you know, nine to five. And he said, no, no, it's okay. Just, just come tomorrow. So I was like, okay. He's like, come to my ex-husband lived. And I was like, okay, that's sudden. But he's like, yeah, you already said yes. He's like, I just want to like, you know, tell people that, you know, this is going to happen and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, that's fine. So I had to give my boss a notice and I said, I have to go tomorrow, which was weird. But I was like, I really, I can't, like I had to, it was affecting my job as well. They gave me a day off and I drove to, you know, Toronto, uh, you know, Monday evening. And when I went there Tuesday, they used to have congregation. So they had weekends at the, you know, place, the motel by Windsor. But on Tuesdays, they had it at my ex-husband's house. And they used to have a smaller one there every Tuesday evening. And I went there, I got there, and I met him one-on-one. And uh, actually, before that, I met him one time over the weekend. Sorry. And I do want to mention this because this is very important uh, in a sense. Okay, so before that, actually, there was one week, and I'm sorry, I mixed up my dates. And I was there at congregation in my t- uh, Kuru and his wife said that I should go out on a date with, you know, this man, like with my husband. And I wasn't feeling comfortable. I was like, okay, this is weird. I've never been on a date before. 
So they said, oh, it's okay. Just go for a drive, you know, get to know each other. Because I already had said yes. And we went for a drive. But I was still a little weirded out because I only knew his first name. I had no idea who he was. And he took me to a Tim Hortons and we just sat there and it was awkward and it was raining. And, you know, we were just sitting there. We had coffee. And then he's like, oh, I want to take you to a lake. And we went by a lake and we were just standing there and he's talking about spirituality, how elevated he is and all that, like, you know, how blissful he is, like, you know, because he's been so dedicated and like he's always like in a bliss. And Brandon, like when I saw him in the congregation, he was always laughing always smiling he had a big smile on his face and he always looked like he was in a bliss like in a really good state that people would talk about him they'd be like oh my god look at this guy i want to be like him he's always like happy and all that um so we went to a lake and he we were just standing there and he kind of hugged me i was still like he was still kind of like a stranger to me and as he hugged me he kissed me And I was in a shock because I had never kissed anyone. And we went back to the car and I was like thinking to myself, I was like, wait, did this really happen? And then we were sitting in the car and I told him, I was like, you know what? Like, you know, I want to be, I want to come clean with you. I want to tell you that I'm not your typical, you know, uh, South Asian woman. Like, I don't cook. I don't like, I'm very ambitious about my career, but I'm not like a good cook, like the way... I know what South Asian men look for. Like they want a wife that cooks and cleans and like, you know, is very family oriented. And I was like, I'm not. I was like, I know we are getting into this thing, but I want you to know like the truth, like, you know, that you won't get that from me. Like I'm not just, I was very tomboyish growing up. And he said, oh, no problem. He's like, I, he's like, I went to school for, I went to culinary school. And he's like, I know how to cook clean he's like the teacher says that if we get married we'll be elevated in our spiritual journey he's like i see god in you and he's like uh you know i accept you for who you are and he said all the right things and i was like oh my god like this is amazing like i've never met anyone like this like he's just amazing it was love bombing and mirroring right so anyways um i at that point, you know, the teacher said, okay, I can tell my parents. And I told them, and I was talking to my sister and I told her that how he kissed me. And I was in a shock. I was like, he didn't even ask me, he just grabbed me and kissed me. And the reason why I'm mentioning that is, uh, cause he would gaslight me later on. And he would tell me that that never happened. Um, and he would deny it completely that I started thinking, okay, I'm making stuff up. But I'm glad that I mentioned it to my sister that same day. Otherwise, I would have honestly, I would have thought that I was making stuff up in my head. But moving forward, uh, you know, that Tuesday when I went to his house, we got engaged, which I had no idea that was going to happen. I just came there thinking we're just going to meet up with everyone. And next thing I know, the teacher announced that we're engaged and we're getting married that same weekend. So you went from knowing who he is from previous congregations to one day being told, hey, you're going to be marrying this person or this person is interested in you, you two should date. Um, So that moment of where you two are supposed to be interested in each other and date to the point of engagement, how long is that? 
Um, maybe less than 10 days. Okay, so less than 10 days here. Your life has been turned up upside down in this way. But yes. your apprehension in those 10 days was turned upside down in those 10 days as well. You went from really being against it and thinking this is just, you know, this person is older. I'm not attracted to them. This is what they did on the first date to this person said every single right thing. And you were on this spiritual journey and you're going along with it and all of the spiritual stuff and uh, accepting of who you are, uh, that is all you needed to be like, and, and you're already in this cult to begin with, it, that's all you needed for of a love bomb or a trust bomb to be, I'm sold. Yeah, that's right. And Brandon, like when we got engaged, um, I told my teacher, I spoke to him and his wife. He wasn't talking to me at that point. He said, oh, you're a woman. You should talk to my wife if you have any questions. So it was a different, like it was a weird flip from going from a dad daughter relationship to okay now you don't talk to me directly you talk to my wife so I spoke to her and I said okay that's fine we got engaged but I was like I need some time I was like um we got engaged that's fine I'm not gonna break it off I'm dedicated to it but I was like I need at least six months to wrap my head around this thing and then I would get married to him and she said no no either you do it this weekend or you don't do it and I was like, but what was the hurry? She's like, no, it's either it happens this weekend or it's not happening at all. And she's like, I don't think you can be part of this congregation. You're too weak, she said. And I was like, oh, my God, again, like, you know, the shaming. So I was like, you know what? What the hell? I'm going to get married six months down the road or I could get married this weekend. That's how they kind of got me ready to get married. And at that point, the teacher called my parents and he said, okay, so I found the right match for your daughter. And she's getting married this weekend. You guys just come here. He's like, it's my daughter. So I found her the match. It's, 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 it, well, technically it's not shaming in a way. Well, it, you know, there's shame, I guess, involved in there, but it is, it's a future faking. And it's, it's, you were, this future has been dangled in front of you and now they are pressuring you, um, to take it away. And, and, and the pressure of, you know, either you do this or we're taking it away. That is what is driving you here. That's right. And again, like that shame. Okay. You can't do it. Your parents, like you didn't raise you well. Like it's, they knew like exactly like what they needed to say and do for me to, you know, do whatever they wanted to do. They knew me. They played me really well. And I, at this point, I had no idea he was married before my husband to be. I had, I knew nothing about him. And from that Tuesday to that weekend, that's when I started asking everyone. I was like, okay, um, you know, like, I don't know anything about him. Like what, then I found out he has a brother and a sister, his sister's old, uh, young, like he's the oldest, eldest and, uh, his sister's married. She lives in the States and he has a brother who lives back home. 
but her his brother was also in mid 30s and that's when i started finding about the family and his parents bought tickets they lived in india they bought tickets and they flew out to toronto to attend the wedding so did my parents and it was very sudden were your parents happy they were cuz they were feeding the same stuff that they were feeding me to my parents like my parents were being talked to behind my back like they would call my dad directly and be like oh you know what you should be proud of your daughter she's you've raised her well like they were feeding you know the whole okay you did well to like kind of keep them under the wraps and they were telling them that you know they were made to feel good you know that you've raised a good daughter you guys are doing great you'll be fine we'll take care of you all that and stuff so so they were behind the scenes you know they're separating everybody and behind the scenes they are pressuring when pressure is needed they're shaming when shaming is needed and then they're massaging egos when needed as well as far as convincing uh people, especially your parents here, massaging the ego of you've done a great job. You, you know, you've done this, you've done that, you know, this, you know, they're they're praising you in a way as far as, you know, if they're getting this love from the, 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 the cults here, that is what they joined it for. So they of course want to continue to receive that love and so they know in that instance, um, praising them is a way to uh, have them not question anything because in a way they're getting what they wanted when they joined, if that makes sense. Basically, yeah. And they and Brandon, like then they started like saying, oh, look at these two people. They're getting married because we told them to get married. And then they're using us in front of the other congregation to control them saying, see, they listen to us. They're good, you know, followers and you guys should be more like this. And then they were praising us in front of them. So it was like a whole manipulation. Like if you do what we tell you to do, we're going to lift you up. Like they were putting guilt and shame on other people to control them better as well. And, uh, the day of the marriage like came and actually a couple of days before the marriage, cause it wasn't in a temple. We as Sikhs, we do it in a Sikh temple. So they didn't believe in the Sikhism. The teacher didn't believe in that. He just believed in love in his own, like, you know, what he was preaching. So he took myself and my ex-husband to a court in London. And then we got made, uh, court registered which i had no idea they would just tell me get ready and show up here and i would get there and then they'd be like oh by the way we're taking you here and you're gonna get go to a court and sign and get married it was like very like no kind of consent like just do as i say and you're good and um so for the you know the day that we got married in front of the congregation was just a party And it was like to make it official in front of the other people. We had already signed the papers. And then they sent us to like a a hotel for the first night. And I want to mention this because, you know, that's when I saw how my ex-husband flipped. So he was all love, all acceptance, everything. Until 
the night of the marriage, like, you know, I was uncomfortable and I was tired. So I told him, you know, I, I just wanted to sleep it off. I was exhausted mentally and everything. And when I said that to him, like I kind of rejected him. He wanted to do things and I was nervous as well because uh, it was my first time and I told him no and he just closed off. And he became like ice and completely ignored me. And he got upset and just didn't talk to me the whole night. And I was like, whoa, what just happened? Like he was amazing, laughing, happy, go lucky guy. And he, I saw another side to him because I had said no to him. And next day when we drove back to the congregation place and he wasn't talking to me in the car. And I was like, what is happening? Like, you know, he like, like this isn't him. And when we got there and the teacher was standing and he completely changed and he was happy and laughing and all that. And I, I was just confused. I was like, how could someone like just switch on and off? Like, you know, all these emotions, which I didn't understand back then, but I was like, what is happening? Like, I don't understand. And that's when he started like, you know, just putting me down, like, his parents were over, uh, you know, we went home. And the next morning, like, when we got to his apartment and his parents were over and he told me, okay, you have to get up at 6 a.m. and make them breakfast. Remember when I told him that I'm not like a South Asian wife, like I don't do those things, like I'm, you know, I was very tomboyish. The very next day he had that you have these responsibilities and you have to do, do these things. And he's like, oh, yeah, my parents wake up at 6 a.m. You wake up at 6 a.m., go to the kitchen and make them breakfast. And I was just like in a shock. Like, how can someone go like a complete 180? And I was like, okay, no problem. I woke up. I didn't know what I was doing. And then his mom was like, you know, before she was all lovey-dovey, oh, my God, I found like a you know, the perfect daughter-in-law to like kind of nagging. Like she doesn't know how to do this. It's okay. Oh, you don't know how to do this. Like kind of putting me down. And it was just like, that's when I started seeing um, like that he wasn't and his mom, like they weren't the people that I thought they were. And he just like, you know, started putting pressure like as in like I wasn't working at that time like you know I was still living in Ottawa sorry I was still living in Ottawa because I still have my job and he said oh you know what um, why don't you quit your job and move here he's like I want you to move here and I said you know I have a really great job um, I had an engineering position and at that time and I was like you know I don't want to lose it like I only have I've only been there six months and I you know I, I want to build um built up my resume so I have some experience so I can find another job and he's like okay then you know what you're gonna come here every weekend and I said that's fine you we were married so I would drive to Brampton uh every Friday evening and then I was like I'll leave Sunday uh, afternoon and we would go to congregation and then I was like then I can just go back to Ottawa and my ex-husband said no 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 you're gonna spend Sunday night and you can leave at 3 a.m. on Monday morning. And I was like, no, I work, you know, at 9 a.m. He's like, that's okay. You can go straight to work. And I didn't see those things that, you know, how he didn't think about me and everything. But I was like, okay, that's fine. I can do that. And I would drive at 3 a.m. I would wake up, take a shower, and drive straight to work from, uh, you know, Toronto to Ottawa. 
and go to work directly. It's just insane, like, to think, you know, the things, not knowing, like, you know, there's people out there like that and and dealing with all this. And, you know, I think I see, and I want to mention this, it could be the lack of self-love that, you know, people like us that don't have boundaries and we go along with it just to be accepted and everything. And I think self-love is very important, you know, where you say no and you understand that, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. But it's just like, I don't know, I just, I still can't wrap my head around like, you know, the, you know, what happened and everything. And like Brandon one time, you know, so he was very like, you know, I had a best friend from, uh, you know, congregation. There was this girl, she was my age. She was like a sister to me and we used to hang out a lot. And she was the only time like I hung out with her, we would go for coffee or something that I would feel normal. I would feel, you know, I would feel accepted. And he would tell me that I shouldn't hang out with her. And he started making up stories that I apparently we were a thing, her and I. And I was like, what are you talking about? She's my friend. Like, she's like a sister to me. Like, what are you talking about? And he started talking to the teacher, telling him that how I was sleeping with her, which is even insane to think about. Like, we were best friends and, you know, we were same age and she understood me. I understood her. And he started like making all these things up that I was unfaithful and I was going around his back and just, you know, seeing other people and and everything and it was just insane and he made up a big lie about um for honeymoon we went to cuba and we had relations and everything and he was apparently telling my teacher that i hadn't touched him like i haven't like allowed him to you know i haven't slept with him which i had no idea he was telling him that and even a year into our marriage one time the teacher got upset because he was being told all these things that he yelled me uh, he yelled at me in front of other people saying that I haven't consummated with him and I was like what are you talking about like I didn't say anything because I was you know embarrassed but it was a big lie and the teacher was yelling at me and there were other people sitting there listening. And I was embarrassed that I, he's there sharing, you know, this personal information. They're talking about these things in front of other people. And my ex-husband was just sitting there smirking. And I was just crying. I was like, like, I didn't want to like tell him like, you know, that's not true. Cause he wouldn't listen. The teacher wouldn't listen. He was just yelling. And my ex was just sitting there like smirking. And I still can't forget, like, how can someone smirk when someone's crying and being degraded in front of other people? And he got physically violent as well. So what he would do is, so he had the teacher wrapped around his finger. He would talk to him. He would feed him all these lies or whatever he was telling him that I wasn't a good wife. I was uh, a rebellious. I was doing, you know, I wasn't doing anything I was supposed to, that the teacher started hating me. And, um, I don't know, whatever he was telling. And one time, like, you know, we got into an argument and um, and I got upset because I was like feeling so much pressure. I was like, no one's listening to me. The teacher doesn't want to listen to me. My parents don't want to listen to me because the image that my ex-husband had in front of my parents was like, he's always laughing. He's like this amazing person that no one knew what he was like when he was alone with me. 
that he was so full of anger. He was so full of jealousy, insecurity that he would tell me, you can't use your phone when I get home. And he told me I couldn't watch TV when he would come home from work and everything. And um, one day, you know, we got into an argument, like I was saying, and I've had it. And I was like, you know what? I was like, I need some space. I was like, I'm going to I'm going to leave. I'm going to go for a drive. And he followed me. I went to the kitchen because I wanted to, like, be away from him. And he he started choking me and he held me by the uh, the wall and he was strangling me. And he said, he's like, oh, yeah, what are you going to do? And I was like, leave me. Like, I was like, leave me alone. I need to get out. I, I need to breathe. I need to, like, get out of here. And I, like, you know, he kept, like, you know, pushing harder and harder on my neck. And he's like, you can't go anywhere, he said. And to, like, you know, I tried pushing him away, but he was way stronger. But I tried, like, you know, like, shoving him away. And then when I did that, he got even more upset that he started, like, punching me. And then I tried like running away and he grabbed me and he threw me on the couch and he sat on me and he's like, you can't go anywhere. He's like, what are you going to do? And I started like screaming for help. When I started doing that, he let me go. And then I ran out and I was so scared. I grabbed my car keys and I sat in the car shaking and I locked the car and I kept looking at the door of the building. And I was like, oh my God, he's going to come here. He's going to do something. And I locked the car door and I was just shaking and crying. And when that happened, like, you know, I called my dad and I was like, dad, like he put his hands on me and my dad's like, it's okay. Just go back. He's like, I'll talk to him on the phone. And I was like, I don't want to go back. He's like, no, just go. And I gave him the phone. I don't know what my dad said, but when he hung up, you know what my ex-husband said? He said, your dad said, oh, that's just my daughter. He's like, I'm sorry. Like, you know, just ignore her. She's always been like this. Like he made me look like the bad guy that I had no support and I was like, what the heck? Like, why would my dad say that? But I believed him. And then I to- I was talking to my ex and I was like, why would you like lay your hands on me? And he would not apologize. And he said, oh, you made me do it. He's like, you were, you made me do it. He's like, you were behaving in a way that I had to do it. Like there was no accountability. And I, I was brainwashed or I was like manipulated in a way that I actually started believing that I'm crazy that I'm doing these things that's driving him to put his lay his hands on me and it's just insane like thinking about it right now like you know if someone can put their hands around your neck you know they have the ability to do the next step which is to uh, take your life and it's a scary place to be. And for you in this moment, you're dealing with this person. Is is it fair to say that you don't even know if calling police is even an option in the world that you're currently living in? Because there is such a grip of control, not just from your partner, but from the whole cult at the point where like breaking up breaking up your marriage isn't just breaking up your marriage it's not just breaking up you're breaking up your beliefs and that's right brandon like at that point like the way we were brainwashed was even above the police and everything was the teacher 
that I I was thinking, I was like, should I call the cops? But I was like, if I did that, the teacher would be disappointed. So I was like, should I talk to him? Like, you know, and see if he can help me out. And I tried doing that. And I talked to, I, you know, I asked him if I can go sit down with them, the teacher and his wife. And I, I talked to them and I said, he's very abusive. And guess what? The blame was put on me. They said, oh, we'll talk to them. But my teacher's like, you know, you're doing this, this, this. He told me you do this, 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 this. And if only you did this, this, like, you know, whatever they wanted me to do. He's like, this wouldn't happen. And I knew that no one's going to help me. Like, I'm by myself. And if I call my dad, they wouldn't believe me. And my teacher didn't help me. And if I call the cops... It would be like, oh, you went behind. Like the teacher would put all the blame on me and my family. So my hands were tied. And the only person I could talk to was my best friend. Like the girl, you know, I was hanging out with. And I told her, I confided in her. And I said, like, dude, this is what's happening. Like he's not who he says he is. And she was the same age as me and she was being manipulated. And she's like, you know what? Talk to the teacher. He can help you out. And it was just like no one was listening. No no one was helping. No one, not my family. I couldn't call the cops because then the teacher would put guilt and blame on myself and my parents even worse. And and I was just felt like I was like, I'm I'm done for. Like there's nowhere for me to go. And I just realized that and I, I would cry every night. I would cry and cry and be like, oh, my God, what what did I get myself into? And I was like, there's nowhere for me to go. And and I would pray and I'd be like, you know, I, you know, my intentions were in the right place. Like, you know, I was trying to find God and got myself into this whole mess. And I would cry and I would pray. And Brandon, I don't know if there is a God or anything, but my prayers got heard one day. And what happened was my teacher, he was struggling a lot because he was manipulating people to a point where I don't know if there's a karma, if there's a karma or not, but he started having a lot of health issues to the point where he lost his sleep. And his wife was struggling and he was struggling that they started asking for help. Like they weren't telling us that they were struggling, but the people that they were close to, like one or two people in the congregation, that they started asking for help and saying, okay, something's wrong and everything. And um, they went to another teacher behind all of our backs. Like we just found out after. And that teacher apparently could see through them, see right through them. And they said, okay, we're, we can't sleep. We're losing our mind. What do we do? And that uh, spiritual person who, you know, was from back home, he said, you know what? He's like, you've been lying and manipulating so many people that your karma got you, your karma, you know, you're getting your karma back. And he said, you have to come clean and tell people that you're not a true teacher, that you've been manipulating and lying and you have to come clean and you have to stop this congregation right away and come clean to people. And he's like, once you do that, then you could, you know, slowly get back to normal, but you have to be truthful. How did you, how did you find that out? So what happened was they didn't tell us straight up. Um, my 
like the guru that was manipulating us started saying that, you know, I'm just going to go, you know, off the radar and I'm going to start living by myself. I can't help you guys anymore. Like he became the victim in that whole situation saying that we have put so much bad karma on him that he was struggling, that he's just going to go off radar and he's no one's teacher anymore. Like he didn't come and say that he wasn't a true teacher he just put it started putting that blame on us saying that we had caused all this bad karma that he had to go off radar and we all felt bad we're like oh my god like we put him through so much and then slowly he started saying that he's not a teacher that he would have to close this whole place down and then when we started realizing that okay something's wrong then he started using you know, he said that he knows everything about us because we used to confess. He used to tell us that confessing is good, like confession is good. And we would tell him his our deep, dark secrets. And when we started figuring out, okay, he's not true and he, you know, that something was wrong. He was just manipulating us. He said, oh, I know all your secrets. He's like, if anyone goes behind my back, and he said this straight up to all of us. He's like, I know every deep, dark detail about you guys. He's like, if anyone says anything, he's like, I'll tell everyone. And we, like, I was just sitting there. I don't know about the others. And I was like, what in the hell? Like, you know, okay, like, what? Like, we confided in you because, you know, we thought confessing and like, you know, confession is good and like he's just like being manipulated that's when i saw it and i was like what like who is this person the manner in which you kind of found out about it um Mm -hmm. was it through like was it you guys just piecing it together Uh, you know because you say the way you tell it it's as if like you heard the conversation you know verbatim so Mm -hmm. is it more of like you guys cobbled it together or like someone who was told that information by them then related it in like a broken telephone kind of way. So Brandon, like that guru was like telling us, oh, he's going to leave. And this is like, you know, this isn't working out and all that. And then there were other people that were closer to him. And the person who had found the other teacher that, the one that said, okay, you need to stop this, you know, whatever this hap- this is happening. Like that person from the congregation was closer to, to that teacher as well. And that teacher had told him that this is all nonsense. Like he's manipulating people. So we so, all kind of got to get. So you guys were yeah. getting uh, information in some ways from the teacher where it's like, what's kind of going on here? And then, you know, his confidant did a little bit more research and started right. to give you guys information about what was going on. And more of things started to, at that point, like whatever conversations you did hear, more people were talking about it and more people were open about what was kind of happening. And you were able to right. kind of figure out the big picture of what was probably said in these conversations and make yes. us educated uh, guesses and assumptions of, exactly. of what happened. Yes. So the, yes, sorry. Uh, yeah. Like the teacher wasn't, he didn't outright say he was wrong. Like he was, when he did say like, he would say, Oh, um, you know, I know everything about you guys. So it was just, 
it took us almost four or five months to figure it out that it's over. And it, this, like we were manipulated. So we all kind of got together. Even to this day, we talk about it, that what had happened. So, you know, he said, okay, I'm not your teacher. You're on your own and all that. And that's when I was like, you know what? Since he told me that I had to get married to my husband and I was bounded by that, right? I couldn't leave. And I was like, now's my chance. Like the teacher's not there to manipulate me anymore. So I told my husband, I was like, you know what? Like, I think then our marriage was a sham. I was like, like, I started like thinking about that. And he started manipulating me. And he's like, no, no, don't think about that. He's like, he, you still have to think about your spirituality. Like, you know, if you leave me, like, think about your spirituality. Like he would hold that against me. And I went to a friend of mine, like, who was in the congregation, and I confided in them how, like, you know, he was manipulative, and he had put his hands on me again, uh, and then, you know, that he was physically abusive and everything, and then I was scared to share and everything, and, you know, that person said, you know what, he's like, if you want to live, he's like, if you want to live, he's like, forget about your parents, forget about congregation, he's like, he's like, get out of this thing he's like leave he's like you're not happy it's weighing you down he's like you should just you know get out if you can and that's when I like started thinking okay you know there is a chance I know my parents are going to be super upset but I was like if I stay even a year or longer I'm going to end up like taking my own life or something and I had made up my mind I was like what am I going to do like you know how do I get out so I told a couple of the people from the congregation and I was like I'm going to leave like what do I do I'm so scared they said it's okay you can uh, stay with us and you know we'll support you and I had told some of my other friends I was like what if he gets physical like you know he's you know and one of uh, the girls she said she she said just give me a call. She's like, I'll stay by the building. And she's like, I, if something happens, just give me a call and I'll come up and like, I'll, I'll help you or I'll call the police. Like then people like started, you know, listening when the whole thing broke down and they like, you know, started helping me and everything. I had made some friends and, and I was still thinking, you know, maybe we can work this out. Uh, maybe, you know, if I tell him that I'm going to leave, maybe he can change himself and we can make this work. And he was love bombing me and everything. And I told him, you know, it wasn't working out. And I was that I had lost myself and I was like, I need to leave. And he was crying and he's like, look into my eyes. He's like, I'm very upset. I'm very sad. He's like, I love you. And I was like, I'm sorry, I can't do this anymore. And as soon as I said that, he flipped and then he started like, cursing me cussing me out and he said oh I know your parents probably told you this he's like I'm pretty sure when you went back home you guys found another guy and I was like what are you talking about like you know he's like oh you're probably talking to someone else like he just started like saying all that and I was like you know what you can think whatever you want to think and I I wish you the best and I was like but I just can't do this anymore I left him and then, but I was still crying because, you know, I was married to him. He was my partner. When I left that day, I sat in my car and I waited like 30 minutes. I was like, maybe he could change his, you know, ways and maybe he could come back and maybe he could convince me. Maybe he could change for better, but he never came out. And I called my brother and I was just bawling and bawling. And I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, you know. And he's like, it's okay, just start your car. And he's like, just start driving and you'll be okay.
I was still hoping that, you know, things could work out. And I crashed at one of my friend's house. And next morning, my ex-husband gave me a call. And I was happy. I was like, maybe he'll tell me I can come back or something. Maybe he'll change. Even at that point, I was hoping to, like, you know, that maybe, maybe, you know, things could get better. And he called me and he said, oh, by the way, you owe me this much money. He's like, I want that money back. And I was like, what? You're calling me to, like, tell me that I owe you, like, some money? I was like, what the heck? Like, I would think that you, maybe you're like, I love you, like, come back or something. But he was just completely cold. And, yeah, that's... So at that point, you are out of the relationship and Mm -hmm. then you and your parents, when do you officially, I guess, leave the organization? So my parents still didn't know exactly what happened. And the teacher was calling them, you know, separately, telling them things, whatever he wanted to tell them. And I called my dad and my mom and I was like, you know, I'm leaving him. And my dad's like, no, no, he's such a great guy. Why are you leaving? I was like, no, dad, I can't do this. And, and, you know, things are over. And like, this was all a sham and they just wouldn't believe me. They're like, what are you talking about? I was like, this was all a sham, like the whole cult and everything. And it took me like, you know, when I, I actually, I flew back to Calgary like two days later and I had told my boss that all this had happened and I was broken and I was like, I need some time off. And he said, he was amazing. He said, okay, take leave. He's like, you still have your job. He gave me four months off to go and heal. And I can't thank him enough for that. Um, So I went back and my parents were still like no no this was real like you know the congregation and I was like no like you need to come to terms with it like it was all a sham and you know this is what happened and and then they slowly kind of caught up and then like you know now we're like oh my god like you know it's been since 2018 it's been like three years now we're just coming to terms with like this actually happened this is the kind of manipulation we were like involved in and now like we're slowly wrapping up our heads around it you know you can only answer for yourself but you were looking for this higher power to guide you what is your relationship with a higher power or God or these systems after this and your relationships with the people that were involved? Do you feel a camaraderie with them or do you feel like you don't want to be around them because there might be a lot of shame or or guilt um, surrounding it all? That's actually a very good question. Um, So Brandon, out of all this, I lost my faith. And faith and hope is like one of those things where when it's broken, like you feel like it it was awful. Um, I lost my faith and, you know, I'm trying to slowly, you know, work on it. And, And there was about the congregation, there was a lot of shame and guilt like we just all felt ashamed like you know like 
like we fell for that and we were part of this big you know congregation and now you know it just it was all alive like it's slowly kind of like catching up to us uh, i do want to mention one thing we had a group um like a congregation uh, we had an app called cacao we used to you know kind of communicate on that and when the things ended they just like you know on those last days they said okay it's done uh, you know we're selling the place and you know if you have any stuff you can come get it and it was just like that like a very like vague okay you know if you have any items you know or people have their own rooms and everything and they said you can come get your stuff and that was it and then we were all just talking to each other okay now now what and yeah so it's still to this day when we talk about it it's a lot of confusion and shame like some people don't even talk about it they ignore it like it never happened and it cuz it's it's uh you know it's falling for something like that it's like and these are like all educated people like how do you even explain this to other people like what happened and me i you know i started talking to my friends from you know which i had isolated from it was it was awkward explaining to them what had happened why i went mia and how i got married and it was just it was really uncomfortable and weird and shameful to tell them what like i had fallen for this thing you saying all of these things it were you know people who listen to the show know that i watch a lot of movies and and documentaries and for some reason what popped up in my head is this documentary called uh, Enron, The Smartest Guys in the Room. And it's about the rise and fall of Enron, which was a company in the United States which started off as an energy company and then all these crazy things happened. But everyone that worked there really bought in to the company and they really bought in. Like they, you know, it wasn't a company. They were like, we're this Thing. We're more than a company. We're a family. We're this entity. And like, we care about your life and, and all these things. And it was really a house of cards. But within that house of cards, people would do things in there that they might not have normally done. They went along with things and things that they might have felt shame for after. And, you know, eventually this company um, went bankrupt and they show on like the day of when everything went bankrupt and everyone's leaving. They're taking their boxes out of the the building and you can just see how upset everyone was because they didn't see that coming. They just wasn't what they were being told. So when you're telling me all this, I mean, you, you were, you in a weird sense were involved in an Enron, except they were morally bankrupt in, and it wasn't, a monetary thing and now you guys are, are leaving this place all with your your belongings and your in your box is kind of lost and wondering where to go next you know thinking that you were going to be belonging to this amazing thing for forever and and, and now it's kind of gone and you had relationships with people within that organization there's this real sour taste now about you know what all of those things are, and it's a really difficult uh, thing to 
deal with, you know, because it's, we're not talking now about a business here. We're talking about your belief in what life is. And, and it's a hard thing to wrap your, your, your head around and, 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 and figure out. Um, yes, uh, exactly. Thank, thank you, Brandon. Uh, you know, you, the way you've explained it, it, it makes so much more sense and yes, you've nailed it. And, uh, again, I can't thank you guys enough. And, and as far as like your healing, what kind of things have you been doing, um, that are non-medication related to, uh, I guess, figuring out what you went through and then, you know, reprogramming your brain, not just from the cult, but, you know, your, uh, tendency before all of this began to need the approval of your parents? Uh, so, you know, because they didn't know they weren't there. They only knew what the teacher was telling them. So there was a lot of sitting down and talking to them about that. And uh, regarding, you know, just catching up and like, first of all, you know, when you go through the situation, like acceptance is the, I think like, you know, in my journey, it was just sitting down and accepting that, yes, this happened. Um, you know, that we went through this thing and we got manipulated and all this and just accepting it that, yes, this was real, this happened and that's okay. And then just reading up and, you know, I, I've done a lot of reading up, YouTube, podcast, everything to this day to, you know, come in terms with it. You have to come to terms with like, you know, you were manipulated and sometimes that could be heartbreaking and it could affect a person's ego thinking, oh my God, I was so, you know, I wasn't, you know, I've said all these negative things to myself. I was an idiot. I fell for this, but that's okay. Like you have to you have to accept it. That's okay. Like, um, I didn't know any better. We didn't know any better that this happened, accepting it. And then kind of seeing what you need to do. You need to do get help. I've done some therapy as well. And that's when actually I had no idea what narcissism was before, uh, getting therapy. Uh, when I did therapy, the person I was, uh, speaking to they said uh that you know my ex was a narcissist that's when i started looking at what narcissism was and then doing a lot of research and finding out what it is and thanks to your podcast as well like i relate to a lot of things and just doing research and finding out what happened and when you kind of know what you went through and then you know i think healing process starts and then you can, you know, now I'm building my self-love, like, you know, I'm building myself back up now because I used to think something was wrong with me. I, and now I'm like, you know what? Um, I went through some stuff like, and, and that's okay. You know, I didn't know any better. And now I'm going to build enough self-love, have boundaries and, you know, and kind of go from there. And if you had any words of wisdom or advice for others that are going uh, through the same thing, what would it be? Yes, I would say um, trust your gut and 
research, get help, talk about it, write, journal, whatever you need to do. Uh, your experience, your journey is valid. And, you know, and just, just work on rebuilding yourself. And I really want to thank you guys uh, for this podcast. You don't know how much it's helped me. And I'm pretty sure there's other people like me that listen to other people's stories and they're like, oh my God, I went through the same thing. There's other people like me out there and it's real and it's happened. And then, you know, you can accept, validate, and then kind of work on, you know, getting better. And Phoenix, I really want to thank you for being a guest on our show and sharing your story. We don't get many stories uh, sent to us where it has to do with being in a cult and everything you said today within the story of, of being in the cult within your relationship with uh, the narcissist of your uh, life that you're married to. You know, all the hallmarks of abuse were there, uh, in, including you had uh, physical abuse, but all the emotional abuse and, and narcissistic abuse uh, traits were there. And I really want to thank you for sharing your story, being vulnerable. You know, it's not easy to discuss what you did, discussed with, uh, with all the shame attached. And you're going to help a lot of people today. So thank you so much. And now uh, for people that want to be a guest on our show please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. At the top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click that button, from there, it will take you to a Guest Form page. It has all of these instructions. Read all of the instructions and then send us either an email at NarcissistApocalypse.gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form on the website. And also at our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com, we have a support group button at the top of the page. And when you press on that button, it takes you to our very own safe social network. On there, we have uh, forum boards that people post on. We have integrated Zoom meetings, which happen on Wednesday nights, Saturday nights, and every other Thursday afternoon. There will be one this week. And we have... Uh, ad-free episodes on there. We have bonus episodes on there. And if you just want to support the show, join our support group. That helps support the show as well. Even if you don't want any of that other stuff, if you really want to support the show, join our support group. And you can do that at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, press that support group button. And if you need even more support, please do go to DomesticShelters.org. And if you or someone you know are experiencing abuse, you are not alone because DomesticShelters.org offers an extensive library of articles and resources that can help you make sense of what you're experiencing. And they can connect you with local resources and find ways for you to heal and move forward. So if you need more help and you need more support, please do go to DomesticShelters.org to access this free resource. And... That is it. I think next week is our three-year anniversary, I think. I think that's what it is. So, or maybe two weeks from now. One of those two. Anyway, besides that, I really want to thank Phoenix once again for, for being a guest on our show. And from Phoenix and myself, we hope you have a good night. <laughs>